I am going to be starting a new series in Romans, still in Romans, entitled Justified. Uh, This is something that we basically sing about and celebrate all the time. Uh, Most of the songs that that we sing uh, speak of what Jesus has done for us and how God has forgiven us and justified us regardless of our sin. In fact, our justification is one of the thing, one of the parts of our salvation that we really talk about the most. I mean, obviously, we talk about our sanctification, our spiritual growth, uh, but justification is that that act of God whereby He declares that you are innocent of your sin and that you'll never ever have to pay for it. It's the it's the the, the central good news of the good news of the gospel, and I can't wait uh, to start that series in two weeks. What we have been doing over the past several weeks is we've really been studying the bad news part of the good news. And I feel like that we have to do that in order to really make the good news good. We really have to understand that things are really, really bad spiritually without Christ. In fact, there, there, is, there is no spirituality in us without Christ. In order to be saved, we kind of have to first understand that we need to be rescued, right? And so that's what we've been looking at in this current series entitled Lost. We have, we've really been studying the negative part or the bad news part that really helps to make the full comprehension of what the good news is all about. And several weeks ago, I def- tried to define for you what it meant to be lost. And that is simply a spiritual condition of people who have not yet found a relationship with Jesus and they are helplessly and hopelessly separated from God. And I hope that over the past several weeks, you've seen just how serious this is. I don't think that I have ever preached a series of messages that have been more, um, I, I, don't, I don't know if negative is the term, because God's Word is never, God's word is never negative, but uh, we have looked at things like God's wrath. We've talked about idolatry and how it exists in the hearts of man. We've looked at God's opinion of sexual immorality of, of all types, but particularly uh, same-sex relationships. We've talked about hypocrisy, a sin that just resides deeply in all of our hearts. We, last week we looked at legalism. All of these kind of lend themselves towards looking at some things that speak about God's wrath and the negative parts of the condition that we're in apart from Christ. Well, today we're going to finish that. And today it's, today it's going to feel bad. <laughs> I don't know any other way to say that. Um, th- this, is, this is not one of these messages that as you hear the first 80% of it that you think, oh, I'm just feeling really good about myself right now. This is, not a, this is not going to be a I feel really good about myself message, but I hope that whenever we get to the end, it'll be an I feel really good about Jesus and what he's done for me kind of message. And so uh, we're going to conclude this series entitled Lost. We're going to talk about universal lostness today in Romans chapter 3. I invite you to stand with me as we read these verses together. Romans chapter 3, and we'll begin reading in verse 9. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to a group of Jews in Rome that he had never met. He had already made the argument. We looked at it in previous weeks. This argument of are Gentiles and Jews any better off? And he kind of leads into that. He says, what then? Are Jews any better off? Not at all. 
For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood in their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Father, today we acknowledge to you 100% that apart from you that we are sinners. Lord, we have nothing of spiritual worth inside of us. Any spiritual good to be found in any of us traces itself directly to you and to your Holy Spirit and the work that you accomplished on the cross have made effectual in our lives and then have brought to bear in our behaviors and our thoughts and our actions. God, we give you the credit today for any amount of righteousness seen in any human being. We acknowledge that it comes from you and not for us. Help us to fully grasp that today. And we love you and offer this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I don't talk much about uh, TV shows, but there is a particular TV show that has captured my attention lately. I remember watching it years ago and recently have started watching some old episodes. It's a, a series on the History Channel entitled Alone. Anybody ever, anybody ever watch that series? That you, you might, maybe not. It's not very popular, but I find it extremely interesting. They take 10 people and they drop them off in the wilderness and they're only allowed to, ta to take 10 items and they have to survive in some of the most brutal conditions on the whole planet. And the winner, by the way, gets a pile of money. You can tap out anytime, and the last man standing, the last man or woman standing, uh, gets, a, gets a big payoff. It's kind of one of those reality uh, TV shows, I guess you could say. There's one thing that I really like about this show. I love the fact that all of these people have these incredible skills and abilities, and they know how to survive in places like Patagonia or the Arctic or just all kinds of places that you can imagine. But something else that always strikes me is that everywhere they go, and there's been like eight seasons, and they go in different locations all over the globe. Um, in, in, on all these seasons, and everywhere they go, no matter where they go, there's always such beauty in creation. It doesn't matter if they're in a desert environment or if they're in an Arctic environment, a cold environment. Um, it doesn't matter if there's mountains or if there's water. There's beauty everywhere in God's creation. Some of you who have traveled, you've seen that beauty as you've traveled the globe and gone to different places. It really doesn't matter where you go upon the earth. 
there is some beauty to be found in creation, whether it be a desert or whether it be a tropical island. There is beauty everywhere we go, all over creation. But there's something else that we find, no matter where we go, no matter what part of the world that we go, every human being that we encounter, down to the one, there is a universal sinfulness that exists within the heart of every single person that has ever lived, every single person that is alive, and every single person that will live. We have a sinful nature. It is a universal situation. And this is what the Apostle Paul is talking about in this whole text when he says that everyone, Jews and Greeks, in other words, everyone is under sin. You know, when you're under sin, you can, or when you're under something, you can, you can feel the weight of it. Whether it is a burden that has been placed upon your back, or whether it is a low roof in some hut somewhere, you can feel that burden whenever you are under something. And that's, and that's the, what uh, the Apostle Paul is describing in this passage, that everyone is under sin, that we can feel the burden. And it doesn't take very long to get to know yourself or another human being or really any group of people anywhere all over the world. You can find this, and we all inherited it. It came to us from Adam and Eve when they first sinned, and it's passed down to us by nature. That's not how God made the world. God made this world absolutely perfect and in beautiful harmony. But because of sin, we know that it's been disrupted. And so when we look deep inside of ourselves, when we look deep inside in, in other people and we take time to notice, we're going to see that all of us are in an inescapable position. Every human being, a universal sinfulness without exclusion and this point is made emphatically all throughout scripture but especially here in this passage in Romans chapter 3 where the apostle Paul quotes from the Old Testament he makes an absolute emphatic point in verses 10 through verses 12 he says none is righteous not one, no one, everyone has turned aside. He says there's not even one person who is righteous. Now, when we think about being righteous, when we think about being good, when we think about these things that we like to think about ourselves, well, I'm a good person, I'm a righteous person. Um, basically, what it means to be righteous is possessing the qualities of goodness and holiness according to God's standards. Possessing the qualities of goodness and holiness according to God's standards. This is true of no human being in their natural state. No human being. Unless God has intervened in someone's life and they have been converted. This is not true of any human being. You may say, well, but certainly there's some people who have overcome this. And in and of themselves, they are righteous and victorious, even though they have become handicapped by sin. I mean, certainly there's someone out there, other than Jesus, someone out there that we would say, well, they were born under sin, but they persevered and they overcame. I mean, after all, that's a lot of times what we see in the world. We see this with 
athletes. You know, and athletes, they might have a physical handicap, and they overcome that handicap, and they uh, end up competing in the Olympics or something like that. Or maybe perhaps we see a child that's born in poverty to grow up and be, you know, a, a, uh, a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. We, we like these stories, right? People who overcome adversity, overcome, you know, a bad situation, and they pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and they make something out of themselves. We love those types of stories. But when it comes to us being able to fulfill the righteousness of God, us being good in God's sight, us being righteous in any way, us having any type of spiritual good, no one has been able to do that. The Bible is emphatic about that. No one, not one person, every single person. I mean, do we get the message here? There's not one single human being ever, ever that has lived up to God's standard. This is one of the most redundant statements in Scripture. Now, uh, y'all y'all have heard me speak long enough. Y'all know I have a tendency to repeat myself. I have a tendency to be redundant a lot. And uh, sometimes I don't mean to. And I do this in my everyday conversations as well. And sometimes my wife will catch me. She's like, we got it. Right? We got it. You don't have, have to keep saying it. We, we understand. I feel like when God repeats himself, when the Lord is, he only really has to say it once. But when he is redundant about something, it's like he wants us to get the message and to get it clearly. And here's a, here, here's a summary statement that's actually made in the very next chapter in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. It means everybody. And by the way, we, we quote this passage all the time in our own vernacular whenever we say no one's perfect. I mean, we say that all the time. We say, well, well no one's perfect. That, you're right. Next, next time someone who is not a Christian says, no one's perfect, you can say, I know, that's actually scriptural. The Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. Fall short. How far short do we fall? I mean, that's a question that we have to ask. How far do, short do we fall? I mean, do we just miss the mark a little bit? It's like, oh, I threw that dart and I almost hit the bullseye. I failed, but I almost hit it. And what do you say if I throw a dart from here all the way across the room at that exit sign, and I say, I'm going to hit that X right in the middle, and I throw that dart, and I, and I hit that X, but it's not quite in the middle, what do you do? You're going to say, well, that's pretty good. I mean, I don't care if you, I don't care if you, you did miss the exact center. I mean, that was that was, that was really, really good. Um, and you might say, well, I'm a really good dart thrower, even though, uh, even though I did not exactly, uh, exactly hit what I was aiming at. But, you know, whenever we think about falling short, we might think about things like, uh, you know, going to, going to a ride at the fair. You know, I have kids, I have five kids. Whenever we go to the fair, whenever we go to Dollywood, whenever we uh, go to Disney World, they have these little lines, right? And you have, to be, you, have to be, you have to be a certain height or you fall short and you can't ride the ride. Well, I mean, you know, kids learn to do all kinds of tricks. You know, they stretch their 
stretch their necks out, stand up real tall. And the, the people that monitor this, they got smart because, you know, kids will try to stand on their tippy toes like that right there. We'll put, you know, platform shoes on our kids. What's the biggest shoes you got? Put those on and maybe, maybe, you, can, maybe you can measure up. And sometimes a kid doesn't quite make it. I mean, they're just, they fall just, just a little bit short. And you think, oh, you're just, you're almost there. And when I started thinking about this in the spiritual realm, I started thinking, what's a way that we could, what's a way that we could illustrate this? What if we had a jump contest? That's what we ought to do. Me and Chuck, me, you want to have a jump contest right quick, Chuck? We're going to see who can jump across this. How, how many feet do you think you could jump, Chuck? <laughs> okay, all right, uh, about this high, right? Maybe you could take a maybe you could take a big step. I think I could jump, you know, maybe five, six feet. Do you know? Do you know that the uh, a human being that is in really, really, really good shape, like uh, the average human being, could probably jump about ten feet. I mean, that's a that's a good jump. I mean, that's probably that's that's probably from me to the piano. I don't have a tape measure, but that's a that's a pretty good jump, the average human being. You know what the world record long jump is? You may remember this, about 30 years ago, a guy named Mike Powell, he jumped almost 30 feet. He was like a half an inch shy of 30 feet. Now that is about from me to Chuck. And there's no way that I'm going to jump 10 yards. That's just, that's, that's, that's just, that's just not going to happen. And you would see an obvious difference, okay? If we had a jump contest and it was me and Chuck and Mike Powell, okay, you would see an obvious difference. Now, I'm assuming that, I, I'm picking on you, Chuck, because I'm assuming you could not jump near as far as I could because I'm a fit specimen of a man, and you're not. <laughs> but you would see obvious differences between me and Chuck, and certainly between me and Mike Powell. And if we all did this together, we would probably see some obvious difference. And it could be, it could be that there would be some of us that could get a really good run and start, and maybe, maybe you might say, wow, that was, that was over 10 feet. You're doing better than the average human. Oh, my goodness, that's close to 20 feet. I mean, that's getting into, you know, Olympic level. You should really do some training. I mean, you could see some obvious differences. But let's say that me and Chuck and Mike Powell were standing on the beach of Hawaii. And the competition was that we had to jump to um, San Diego. 2,521 miles. I couldn't do that. Chuck couldn't do that. Mike Powell couldn't do that. There is no human being, not even one person that you're going to find who has ever lived, who is alive, or who will ever be born that could do that unassisted, that could just somehow get a running start from the beach of Hawaii and jump all the way to San Diego. No one could do that. We don't even come close. We like to think of ourselves, oh, I'm, I almost make the cut. you got to be about this tall and I can almost stand on my tippy toes and I can almost make it. I can, I can at least get a little bit close. But when it comes to God's standards, we can't even come close. And this is because we're handicapped on the inside. The Bible says that we have corrupted hearts. 
Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says that there's no one who understands, no one who seeks God, everyone has turned aside, that all have become worthless. This is true of every single individual that has ever been born. We've been born with corruption on the inside. You know, we like to think about sin as something that is external. I'm doing fine until sin jumps on me. Or my computer works great until it gets a virus. That's not how it works. We have corrupted hearts from the beginning. We are handicapped from the time that we were born. Our thoughts, our desires, and our plans. Everything on the inside of us from the very beginning is bent towards sin. If you don't believe me, I invite you to get up now and uh, go into the uh, nursery, into the two-year-old room. Just go check it out. Yeah, you think they're cute. Go spend, go, go spend an hour with 30 of them, and you'll walk out thinking, oh, they're cute, but they're sinners. Man, they won't listen. They won't sit. They cry. They throw food at each other. They hit each other. Woo, let me out of here, right? But you still need to volunteer, and you still need to help us in our nursery. I just want to kind of slide, slide that in there. But the Bible says that this is how we are on the inside. Our hearts are corrupted from the beginning. We, the Bible says no one understands our thoughts, our minds. They're just corrupted. Naturally, we don't think about God's spirit. This is one sign of lostness. Is an unconverted person, they just they don't think about God. They don't have any thoughts about God. They're not really interested in God in their mind. The Bible says no one seeks for God. Listen, there's no such thing as a seeker. There's no, I mean, I remember 20 years ago, it was the seeker-sensitive movement. We talked about that a lot in ministry circles. Oh, we want to reach seekers. There are no seekers. There's, there's no such thing as someone who is seeking after God. Unless, unless God's doing something in their heart, people don't naturally seek for God. The Bible says no one understands, no one seeks for God. This is a sign of lostness. Their desires, they don't naturally desire God. Sinful man, is, we're fugitives from God. We're in rebellion to Him. Mankind are enemies of God. It's only after we've been converted that our minds begin to seek God. Now, just because a person is desperate, a person can be desperate and walk into a church and look, oh, I'm looking for peace, or oh, I'm looking for help financially, or oh, I need something to happen in my life, and maybe there's someone spiritual out there that'll do something for me. Listen, that's not seeking God. That's, that's seeking self. That's saying, I, I, want, I want whoever has power to do something for me, to help me. Seeking God says, I need a boss over my life. I need a Lord. Seeking God says, I want the master of the universe to receive all glory. I want all glory to go to him. I'm not looking for glory for myself. Mankind doesn't naturally seek the, oh, I want the, the church to be so resilient that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. These are things that Christian people say. These are things that people who have been converted by the Holy Spirit, these are things that they desire. These are not things that lost people desire. The Bible says that everyone has turned aside their plans and their dreams. They, they don't include the glory of God. They include health and wealth for themselves. And I know this is really negative, but this kind of sums it up. It says, together they have become worthless. 
How does that make you feel that the Bible says that in your natural self that you are worthless? Spiritually worthless. That there is no spiritual worth on the inside of us. I think Jesus said it best in uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 15, verse 21 through verse 22. It says there's nothing that's outside of person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. For from within, from out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts and sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, and all these different things. It says those things come from, come from within. And those things lead to evil deeds. That's another thing that we see in this Romans passage. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 17. It says that there's, there's no one that's good. We say that about each other sometimes, don't we? And say, oh, he's a good guy. Oh, she, she's a good gal. No, he's not. He's not. Not, not. not by God's standards. By God's standards, we are not good. And our, our deeds are evil. Think about some of the things that you have said. The Bible says that we're... This is, a scary, this is scary. The Bible says that we're going to have to give an account for every idle word we have spoken. Think about some of the things that you have said in your life. Do you want God playing those back to you on videotape? I don't. Think about some of the things uh, that you have done. Your feet, maybe your feet, that says their feet are swift to shed blood. Maybe you've never actually killed anybody, but I mean, have you done some things in your life that maybe you're embarrassed about? The past, the way of peace, not having a fear of God, these, are, these describe evil deeds. Now listen, I understand that people can do a civic good. We can look at a soldier, and we can say, that soldier gave his life for, our, for, for, my, for my country. That's, that's, a, that's a civic good, right? We're, we're capable of that. Human beings are capable of saying, well, I care about my country and our form of government, and I want to preserve that. And so I want to go and I want to fight and even die, if I have to, for a civic good. There's relational, I guess we could find relational good in us. Even people who don't know Jesus, for example, love their children. I mean, that's, that's, that's good, right? It's, it's good that we love our children, love our, our families. That's a relational good. We can have benevolent good. I've known people who don't know Jesus, don't go to church, and uh, they're very open-handed. They're very benevolent. They say, well, I want to I help people. I want to do good for people. But listen, what this is saying is there is nothing of spiritual good on the inside of us. Nothing of spiritual good that could possibly repair our relationship with Jesus, our, uh, that would possibly uh, um, close this gap between us and God that would somehow make me spiritually capable of jumping from the beach in Hawaii to San Diego. There's nothing on the inside of us that we could possibly muster up to where God would say, you know what, you're close, so I'm going to go ahead and let you in on your own merit and on your own good. And because of this, there's a universal guilt. Romans chapter 3, verse 19 through 20. It says the whole world, <clears throat> the whole world is going to be accountable to God. And listen, here's, this, this verse talks about, this verse mentions the word that is going to be the topic of the good news of, the, uh, of my next series, that no human being will be justified in his sight. We're going to talk about 
the beauty of justification. I mean, you kind of always, it's, it's kind of always there. But we're going to talk about this in the next series. But for now, it says that the whole world will be held accountable to God. Now think about that. We have a universal guilt. All of us are guilty. If all of us are sinful and all of us are born that way, then we have guilt. We have guilt and a, and a lot of it. We're accountable to God. Somehow we believe that, okay, I, maybe, maybe God's not going to hold me accountable. I mean, I have to be this tall. I can stand on my tippy toes. I can almost make it. I can't jump 30 feet, but maybe I can get 10. I mean, I'm a third of the way there. I can just try. Maybe God will say, you know what? It was good enough. Maybe God will say, you know what? Your effort, your effort was good enough. But that's, 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 not, that's not how it works. If you murder somebody and you say, well, I tried really hard not to murder them, but I just, I just couldn't help myself. Do you think the judge would acquit you and not send you to prison? Just because you said, well, I tried. I mean, I put forth effort not to steal all that money. I mean, I resisted for a long time not, not committing adultery. I mean, I lasted like 20 years faithful to my wife. I mean, doesn't that account to something? I mean, somehow we think that maybe God won't hold us accountable. Well, how will you give an account to God for your sin? Think about that. If you stood before Jesus and you were judged, what could you possibly say that would lead to your acquittal? What, what could you do that would somehow erase the sinfulness that's both inside and outside? If God were to put you in a heavenly court and were to make you watch on a screen every evil deed and was to bring to light every evil thought and desire, and you had to watch that on TV next to God, and then God looked at you and said, Give an account for this. Why did you do this? You broke my laws. What do you deserve? Do you, do you think that you would, uh, I almost measured up, or would you suddenly be struck with the fact in the presence of a holy God, when all of your sin was put on display, would you suddenly realize, I am undone. I am ruined. I wonder if, I wonder if that's what we would say. Well, what would you say to God? What would you say to Him? If He said, give an account. You know, in the 1970s and the 1980s, there was a popular method uh, used in sharing the gospel by many churches called evangelism explosion. You may or may not have heard of that, but you probably have heard or at least heard of and maybe have even used some diagnostic questions that came out of that method of of uh, sharing the gospel. You ever heard this before? You ever used this before? Are you certain you'll be in heaven when you die? You ever asked anyone that question? Are you certain you'll be in heaven when you die? It's really, it's really meant to lead into the second question, which is, if you died tonight and stood before God, and He asked you, after you, after you watched, and he, it, all the sin that you ever did, after every, all the sinfulness you are, after it was all exposed, and you went before God and He said, so why should I let you into my heaven? I mean, think about that question. If you were to be asked, I want you to think about that for a minute. I want you to think about how you answer that question. Think about it. You're, you're in a heavenly court. You're being judged. You're being called to account. Your sinful deeds, thoughts, actions, everything has been, been exposed. And God asks you, 
wash, wash it, I'll let you into heaven. What would you say? If your answer to that question begins with I, you are in trouble. If the answer to that question that you give to the Lord does anything to point back to you and who is corrupted in heart and sinful and evil in deeds and was born that way, if you say anything, if, if, you, would, if you would think that I would say anything like, well, I was a good person, I tried real hard to measure up, I was baptized, oh, I said prayers, oh, I'm, I made all kinds of spiritual decisions all throughout my life, I was a good person. I was religious. I was baptized. I, I, listen, if the answer to that question begins with I, in pointing to yourself, you are in major trouble. Listen, you better answer that question with starting with the name of Jesus. If you don't somehow say, you know what, you shouldn't let me in. I do not deserve to be in. I deserve to be down there. I do not deserve to be in. But that guy right there died for my sins. The man that is seated at your right hand died for me. He came to live inside of me. He changed me. He converted me. He justified me. He regenerated me. He did something in me. It is because of him that I should be allowed to enter heaven. If it has anything to do with you, it won't work. It has to have everything to do with Jesus and what he has done. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. That's the best news I could ever hear. I don't have to measure up and be good. I can be in the worst, depraved, sinful state imaginable. Jesus died for me while I was still in that state. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek and to save the most sinful person that you can imagine. He came to seek and to save all of us. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so what? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In him we might become the righteousness of God. This is called justification. And this is what we're going to look at. I'm so excited to be talking about justification. God declaring the guilty innocent. That's what the Lord has done for us in Christ even though we were in a horrible state, the worst condition possible. We were sinners. Jesus died for us. He justified us. He declared us righteous on the basis of what Jesus has done and not on the basis of anything that we have done. No goodness inside of us has earned it. Jesus earned it for us. Just like that song that we said, it 
is finished. That's what Jesus said on the cross, that song that we sang earlier in the service. It is finished. Doesn't that make you feel good? That you, you, don't, have to, you don't have to find something good in you that would make God love you. You don't have to perform any work. You don't have to do any good. You don't, you don't have to somehow give an account and say, well, I, I, tr- uh, I tried it. I, none of that. You just have to say, Lord, I gave up and I surrendered. And Jesus accomplished it all for me on that cross. I pray that that has happened in your life. I pray that what Jesus has done has been made effectual in your life. And you have been converted. And it starts with hearing the gospel. It starts with hearing and grasping and understanding the gospel. And today, if you feel the weight of your sin, then it could be that the Lord is showing you that you need to be converted. But if right now you say, you know, there was a time that I felt the weight of my sin, but I also remember the time that Jesus Christ justified me and made me righteous in the eyes of God, and now I'm holy. I hope that is the assurance that you have right now after hearing a message like this. But if you're feeling the weight of your sin right now, it's probably an evidence, it's probably proof that you're not converted, that you have never come to know Jesus as Savior and that you are in a condition that we describe as lost. And if, if you've come to that realization today, that's, that's the Lord speaking to you. That is God talking to you. That is the Holy Spirit of God reaching out to you and saying, hey, let me roll that off of you and let me come and live inside of you. There's, there's, there's some things that God can't do for you. He can't believe for you. He can't repent for you. He can't, he can't pray on your behalf. These are, these are things that you have to do. You have to confess. You have to believe. You have to repent. These are the actions that you take when the Holy Spirit begins to move upon you. These are the actions that you take. These are not the actions that necessarily save you. Jesus saves you. But this is the way that you respond. You respond in this way as the Holy Spirit moves upon you. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Let's bow our heads and pray and let's talk to the Lord and ask Him to do inside of us what we could never, ever do inside of ourselves. Ask Him to save our soul. It's never happened to you. It's never happened in your life. Ask the Lord.